If you're always on the go like myself and don't have time to sit down and read, Audible.com is a great source to be able to catch up on the latest bestsellers. Listen to it while on the road or at the gym. Audible.com is a leading provider of premium digital audio information and entertainment on the internet. Audible content includes more than 180,000 audiobooks and spoken word audio products. Audible carries Audible books in every genre imaginable business, classics, history, self development, just to name a few. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook of your choice and a free 30 day trial membership. Just go to audible.com slash replay and choose from over 180,000 audio programs. Download a title for free and start listening. It's that easy. Currently, I am listening to the classic One Fish, Two Fish, Red Fish, Blue Fish. One Fish, Two Fish, Red Fish, Blue Fish, Black Fish, Blue Fish, Old Fish, New Fish. Okay, that's、This、genius. Go to audible.com slash replay. That's audible.com slash replay and get started today. I just want to take a quick poll. How many people here have an Android device? The father of Android, Andy Rubin. Oh, that was unfair. <laughs> I couldn't see how many people raised their hands. It, okay. It was a lot. <laughs> Plenty of people. You like that? Do you like being called the father of Android? You know,、um, I have two boys, two and a half and five. That's enough of a father for me. Neither of them is named Android? Neither of them is named Android. <laughs> but they love robots. So,、uh, so they, took out, they took that gene from me, I think. Good. So,、um, let's see. You invented one of the early smartphones, the, the Danger. The sidekick, yes. Sidekick? Co- co-invented. I had some great founding team. And...、Uh, I still remember. It seemed to me you were the head of the team when we first met, but,、uh, when it was, it was still in stealth. Then you cooked up Android and brought it to great success、mm-hmm. before you left、uh, the job and then left Google.、Um, what have you done for, for us lately? I mean, really. <laughs> well,、um, I was mowing my grass a lot at home for, for a couple of months, and then I decided, you know,、uh, I should probably go back into business.、Um, You know, I'm an entrepreneur. I'm very passionate about technology. I'm an optimist about technology and what technology can do for people in society. Um, and, um, you know, 10 years at Google run, running Android, I, I、uh, announced、uh, I was handing it over、uh, on my birthday when I was 50 years old.、Um, and I, you know, I thought, like, after a billion devices,、um, which was at the time, What am I going to do for the next 10 years of my life? Am I going to fight for plus or minus 1% market share、um, you know, with Android, or am I going to go and try to do 10 more Androids?、Um, so I decided I'm going to try to do 10 more Androids. 10 more? Well, maybe 20. You know, it, 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 depends, <laughs> it depends how many times I, I fail. I see some familiar faces in the, in the audience. It depends how, how many times、uh, I、uh-huh. can accept failure. But, um, um, And, and, and so I created this thing called Playground with, with three co founders,、uh, Matt Hershens and Bruce Leake and Peter Barrett. And the goal there is to amplify ideas, right? So if,、uh, if, uh, if an entrepreneur comes in, has an idea for something, it's very, very early, we'll invest in their idea and help build a team around them. 
we have a bench of world-class engineers. A lot of them came from Google and Apple. And that bench literally sits side by side with the entrepreneur and helps them develop their product. Is that unusual? I mean, are there other uh, it's, investment as far as I can tell, teams that do that. I know there are some that bring in, you know, like a CIO, a CEO, and stuff like that. But engineers I mean, sweating the details of product design—it's like a different skill set. So, for 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 good or for bad, it's it's a first, and we'll see uh, we'll see how it goes. And one of your first or your biggest projects is something to do with augmented reality augmented glasses. Reality, or, yes, sure. Can you talk about that? Sure. So a company called Cast AR. Uh, founded by uh, uh, a couple of people from the gaming industry. Uh, Jerry Ellsworth is somebody I've known for a long time, and she's you know, very broad in her, in her technical ability. She has a chip fab. She wanted to learn how chips are made, which is essentially a chemical process that she uh, set up in her garage, and she started using... She has you know, a chip fab in her garage. In her garage, uh, uh-huh. and, uh, and she's one of the technical co-founders, and she invented some... Uh, uh, different type of optics that you can wear, and it projects uh, uh, augmented image from your computer through normal clear lenses, reflects, and then when it comes back and hits the lens, you can see that object. So nobody else in the room can see it except you. But there are little projectors above the Micro, lenses. the smallest projectors you've ever seen. Yeah, it's very, very cool. So odds of this compared to Google Glass? Google Glass is, you know, postage stamp size uh, augmentation to give you real-time information. This is highly interactive stuff. You know, primary application is gaming. It's, it's really, really fun. All right. What else you got? What else I got in my pocket? <laughs> what else you got at Playground? Now, that sounds well, good. It's a good one. So look, I mean, just the woman with the fab in her garage is good. You should, by the way, you should have her on stage because she can, she is so, I mean, very good All right. Person. Okay. Um, well, look, I mean, the whole thesis behind Playground and this 10x amplification is trying to predict what the next wave of uh, computing is, right? If, uh, you know, I, I have a saying that, you know, every 15 to 20 years, there's a new wave of platform innovation. This is Rubin's law? This is, uh, it better not be a law because laws are meant to be broken. So, so maybe it's a rule. Okay. Um, but, uh, but. Um, every 10 to 20 years. You made me lose my track. Um, Every, every uh, 15 to 20 years, there's a new revolution in computing, whether it's you know, mainframes to mini computers to home computers to the internet to mobile, right? There's about 10 to 20 years in between each one of those. Um, so what Playground is meant to do is basically prepare for the next thing, right? The thing beyond the post-PC era, the thing beyond uh, the mobile phone or, or the tablet. Uh, and uh, a lot of these companies like Cast AR are one of the, you know, one of the things we're betting on. Um, a couple of other things that have been announced, and by the way, you know, we've made, I think, eight investments. We closed our fund yesterday, literally, uh, so this is the first time I can talk about it. Um, the SEC has a regulation that when you're fundraising, you can't, you can't talk about it. Um, so, so luckily, uh, we made it close yesterday, so I, can, Excellent. so I could start having this conversation with you. Um, uh, you know, the... Uh, um, the, the ones that we've announced, we've done about eight investments, um, and uh, uh, there's a company called Nirvana Systems, and they're doing a deep learning uh, stack. It's an open source stack, uh, and they have some extensions to it that make it outperform a lot of the current uh, machine learning neural net technology that's out there. So if you think of the future of computing and you're like, okay, 
if my phone is my main display and the cloud is the thing doing the learning, right, what does the future of computing look like in 10 or 15 years? And that company, I think, is, has a good shot of being in the center of it. Um, and then there's some, you know, there's some extensions to that. If, if you believe that you, you, you spend all your time interacting with a screen, you got to start thinking about the things that don't have screens, right? And everybody's heard about IoT, uh, which I think is a too broad of a term. Um, but we invested in a, a company called Connected Yard. Connected Yard. Connected Yard. And, and what they do is they make a, uh, a, a, a connected device that you put in your swimming pool. It's solar powered and it connects to your Wi-Fi network. And it does a constant chemical analysis of the water in your swimming pool and reports that up to its cloud. And it doesn't like vibrate your phone or give you a notification and annoy you when there's, a, when there's something wrong with the pH level in your pool. What it does is it FedExes you pellets <laughs> that you put in your pool and you have no idea what's in the pellet or what's wrong with your pool, but if you throw in anything that comes in the mail, your pool's perfect. So if ISIS hacked this, they could poison all the water. And all the water. <laughs> okay. Well, those are any other really? There's, there, there's some others, but I think um, that represents kind of the, the, the three Well, what is the next platform after? Because these are very broad. You're not talking about platforms like, you know, uh, um, uh, OS X or Android or something. I mean, you're talking about big things like home computers, the Internet, which is pretty big, and mobile, which is really big. So what's the next thing after mobile? Well, um, first of all, mobile's not going away, so everybody can, can relax. Um, it is your main screen. It'll remain your main screen because it's so personal and on you all the time. Um, but look, right before, after I left Android, I, uh, I spent some time looking at robotics for Google. And, uh, and what I learned there is that um, actuation, you know, assuming that the cloud and computing is going to evolve at a rapid pace, neural networks and deep learning and machine learning we're going to continue to evolve. There is a point in time, I have no idea when it is, it's not 10 years from now, it might be 20, it might be 30, um, where there is some form of AI, you know, lack of a better term, that, you know, will be, in my belief, the next computing platform. Um, the robotics effort was a mechanism to actuate that. Um, robotics is, is funny if you, uh, I mean, a a traffic signal is a robot. In yeah. South Africa, they're called robots because it used to be a policeman giving you a signal, and now there's a red and green light. That's automated. It took his job away. That poor guy doesn't have that to That happened a while smog. ago, yeah. I think, probably. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, your dishwasher is a robot. That used to be a chore that people did in the sink, and now you throw it in a machine, and it does it overnight. Um, so there's a lot of definitions. My wife doesn't let me do that. She insists on washing the dishes before she puts them in the dish. With the, does she make you do that? I don't know. Okay. It's, I don't want to go into it. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, so these things take a lot of form. And, yeah. and interestingly, neither one of those was an identical duplicate of what the human was doing. In the traffic light, you know, you know, the policeman was doing this and doing this, and that's not what the traffic light does. Right. Right? So the context changed, and people needed to learn the new context of how these robots worked. A dishwasher doesn't have two hands and a sponge. Right? It right. has a jet of water, and somebody invented a clever way uh, to, to clean within a box. So I think robotics and automation 
are going to be clever kind of interpretations of that, and it's going to start permeating, you know, in, in our lives. And it's all, I think the, um, the the thing that's going to be new is the part of the cloud that is forming the intelligence from all of the information that's coming back. Right. So you start looking at, it and you start thinking about, okay, maybe that thing in the pool, not a bad idea. If its job is to basically like train a neural network on what you know chemical analysis of water means, right? And it's going to change, you know, when it's dry. It's going to change after it's rained. It's going to change east coast to west coast, and those that data is going to help inform the neural network to make decisions on other parts of your life beyond your pool. And that's why the company, by the way, isn't called, you know, PH company. It's called Connected Yard because beyond the pool is your yard. And you can make a lot of informed decisions through that data. So I think um, uh, potentially the next, the next wave of computing is, is some form of AI. Some form of AI, not necessarily Jetson's anthropomorphic robots. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, I don't think that, A, I don't think that's necessary. Um, and it's overly complex. Um, and you can make an argument that humans, us, shape the world into our form. You know, this stage has stairs on it. Yep. Right? If, if, I, if I if try to wheel off of that on a robot, that's not going to work. Right. Um, uh, but, uh, um, but that argument is, doesn't apply to, I think, the next 30 years. It's just not necessary, because there's still a lot of dishwashers and traffic lights to be invented. Um, it, doesn't have to, it doesn't have to take our form. So uh, you, this is all very exciting. And I thank God you closed your round and cleared the SEC so that thank we you. could hear some of this. But um, you're one of the smartest guys around about uh, mobile. And we've, there are some interesting things going on in the mobile landscape now, and there are some things that have been true for a little while. And I want to ask you about uh, a couple things. Let's just start with this one. Um, Android has won in market share, but iOS is still very important. And the iPhone is, or Apple makes a lot of profit. Um, so we have those two ecosystems and those two platforms, and they each have a different means of succeeding. And uh, I, I think most people would say that both companies have succeeded very nicely in their own way. Is there room for another one? I mean, these things, as somebody earlier in the day said, Symbian used to have 50% share. We all know BlackBerry used to be a big deal. Our, is what are the prospects for, for something like that happening? It can change at any time, which is one of the things that you know drives my passion for mobile. Is that it's never standing still; it's always changing. Um, what's what's really interesting? What we have today that we didn't even have like three years ago is consumer choice. Right, the consumer can choose. They can also do a lot with their phones that they wouldn't be able to do, have been able to do with Symbian. And whatnot by putting you know different different uh, uh, configurations on their phone and things like that, and that's true for iOS and Android. But in in Android space, because it's open source, there's just a ton of good ideas. But those good ideas need to be basically curated by the consumer, right? Um, because uh, uh, there's just a lot of activity, uh, a lot of stuff going on in China, a lot of stuff going on in the U.S. and in Europe on Android specifically, because anybody can take the software and make it their own. Right. Um, and I don't, you know, 
I'm constantly amazed. We're, we're, we're talking about mobile, and there's different versions of that. There's what you're doing with your mobile phone, and then there's what you're doing with your television, which runs Android. A lot of TVs run Android now. Um, there's what you might uh, be doing with the, uh, your home security system. Some of those run Android now. I'm constantly amazed and amused uh, by, by a product that I might go out and buy uh, that happens to run Android, and I don't even know it. It doesn't look like an the Android you and I would experience on our phones. Um, you know, so with, with that kind of style of open source and everybody doing a lot with it and creating a lot of variants of it, when you put that in the context of do we need a third, I don't think there's one Android, right? I think there's a lot of different Androids, and that's part of the strength of it because the consumer kind of wins with getting exactly what they want. Yeah, you'll have a lot of fallout and a lot of noise of people building dumb products because it's easy. Or malware or some other thing. Yeah, there's ways. I mean, I think we're getting better and better at, at controlling that. It's not the same issue as it used to be, but, but mostly it's, it's survival of the fittest. Right? It's, it's what's going to percolate to the top that's really going to engage and keep the user's interest. So, but the software platform, you honestly, did you say you didn't think there was a need for it or there wasn't a possibility or a well, likelihood? Look, when, when, I, when I started Android, there was a venture, a pitch deck, a PowerPoint presentation. And back then, we actually did PowerPoint. Um, <laughs> and, and literally, there was a slide that said, the world doesn't need another mobile operating system. Because there was simply, there was like, Littered the the road was littered with mobile operating systems. What the well, there was said, Microsoft, there was BlackBerry, Symbian. Symbian, there was and and every manufacturer like a Motorola had yeah. three operating systems of their own that were proprietary. Proprietary, yeah. Right? So right. the last thing the world needed was an, was another operating system. Um, uh, what the world needed was an open operating system, and that was the punchline of of that slide. Um, and the idea was, once you have an open operating system and it can be shared uh, between engineers and between companies without a mandate that you have to do it, without a consortium of people that are going to direct the thing in a certain way, once it becomes shared at the engineering level, kind of the bottom up, right, that's what innovation will be built on top of. Right? And it became true. Um, so now that there's an open operating system, some enterprising entrepreneur, maybe somebody in this audience, will do the next slide deck for the venture pitch that says, okay, the world has an open source operating system, but it needs a artificial intelligence open source operating system. I get it. Whatever it is, right? Um, uh, but, you know, right now, it's, that's a big gap. Right? So it's you wouldn't bet heavily on the chances for Windows 10 to, to gain significant traction against Google and Apple right now? Well, um, well, Windows 10 is a fine operating system, and what Redmond has done um, in the past year has been pretty phenomenal as far as kind of changing user perception about how innovation Absolutely. happens there. I agree with you. Um, so kudos to that. Um, uh, they've you know, also released Word and PowerPoint apps on Android. And iOS? Yeah, that's revolutionary, right? It used to be only on their own platforms they would right. do that. Um, so just that thinking, I think, is going to take that company to the next thing. Um, it's new. It's an open-minded approach, and I'm all for it. I don't know if it's going to you know, create the next invention, but innovation on top of platforms wins consumer hearts and mind. 
So if they come up with that in innovation, that innovation happens on their platform or other platforms, the spotlight's gonna be on Microsoft, right? Because that's the innovator, right? So why wouldn't you want that to happen as many platforms as you possibly can? As opposed to just pushing your own Yeah, platform. I mean, that doesn't scale. But they're still pushing their own platform. They should, they should, because maybe innovation will happen on it. Okay. Um, so we have this duopoly, and I know you explained that Android is more than one thing. I get that. But it's still, you know, Google. And Google doesn't control every iteration of Android by any means. But what are the biggest threats to Google slash Android on the one hand and to Apple slash iOS on the other? Well, we should, I mean. <clears throat> you spent a lot of time thinking about this when you were running Android. Think about both those questions, I yeah. think. When, when you talk about these devices that you're carrying around that are effectively you know, internet in your pocket, the cloud in your pocket. I, I, the question isn't what's a threat to the operating system of the device. I don't, I, you know, this is innovation. There's gonna, be, there's gonna continue to be innovation. Some of it is gonna happen at leaps and bounds. Others are gonna be iterative. I think the um, worst thing that, that would happen from a product perspective, from a consumer product perspective, would be slowing down innovation, right? Um, you know, I, I don't think ecosystems will be threatened. I don't think regulatory stuff will, you know, be much of a threat, but it should be, you know, it should be run to conclusion to make sure that everything is in the right place where it should be. Um, but I think getting lazy, right, from a, from a competitive perspective, if, if there's a duopoly and, and both sides are like, this is the way it's gonna be for the rest of our lives, right, they kind of start going in lockstep. Has that started? Um, you know, I'm not disappointed with innovation. It happens faster than, uh, there, there was a period of time, you know, five years ago where it was happening faster than you could hold on. I mean, yeah. it's happening so fast, that, you know, and, and right. I think it was bad for, for economies. Um, it's slowed down to the point where it's now manageable, and, and, but also scalable. Um, but I think the, the, the last thing you want is for those things to happen in lockstep. Right? You don't want them to be perfectly parallel. You don't want them to be the same with an A choice and a B choice. But there is sort of this leapfrogging thing going on between these two platforms. And that's natural, and, and, and I think that's generally good. Leapfrog is good, right? But you know, you're not going to actually do much if you're actually traveling down the same road. So those roads have to be parallel, and they have to go you know, into time, uh, where the consumer is going to benefit from all the innovation that happens. And I think one of the most interesting things that's happened recently in the U.S. is this notion of um, you don't need to sign a contract with your carrier. That was my next area of, or, we, you know, maybe our last so, major area of discussion. So um, there's been this big change in the in the whole structure of how you buy phones, and in the and in the whole relationship between carriers slash operators, whatever you want to call them, and handset makers. And the consumer. I mean, And the consumer. And, and that's going to change the dynamic of innovation as well. It's going to be really interesting to see how that plays out. So, I mean, just uh, do you want to talk about kind of what, the, the, way, the way it used to work? Uh, tell me how it used to work so, so and you, what you think, how this is going to change everything. And this is, this is U.S. only, but um, uh, the way it used to work is you used to go into your wireless carrier, you used to get a phone number, and you used to sign up for that phone number for two years and maybe get a free phone or a cost-reduced phone. They would subsidize the phone. And they would say, okay, if I have this user paying me 
$49.50 a month for the right to have a phone number and make, make and receive phone calls and do internet and data and everything else. Uh, if I hold them for 24 months, which is the two-year contract, I'm going to make back that subsidy and uh, a profit. Um, and they stopped doing that. They stopped doing that for a variety of reasons, and I could only guess on, on what those reasons are. Uh, uh, I, I think you've been speaking to, you had some guests, I think. That we had Glenn Lurie, the head of at and yeah. So I think um, a better question for him on why, but the result is no more contracts. You can now walk into an operator, and they will still give you a phone, but they'll sell it to you over a period of time, 28 bucks a month. Right, right. 28 get, bucks a month, no interest, phone. actually. No interest. Well, it's all blended into to, to whatever the business model is. Um, uh, but they're banks. No, but right? what they're I mean is you if you add up all the 28 bucks a month mm-hmm. by the number of months, mm-hmm. it's, the, it's the price that the phone was set at anyway. With, uh, with yeah, a big deep margin. margin. Yeah, yeah, I deep know. Deep margin. Um, but the result is the consumer is no longer in a contract. They're in a payment plan for a phone. Right? And the contract is month to month. It's prepaid, essentially. And then one more thing happened. The carriers did this over the last, what, year, year and a half, mm-hmm. starting with T-Mobile. Mm-hmm. And then what happened in the last the month? Mar- the market reacted, and, and a company that has a ton of money in the bank that is in a position to be a bank decided to do it for their customers directly. Meaning Apple. Meaning Apple. So for, what is it, $32 a month, you can Including buy the two-year warranty. That's yep. what... Yep. And the insurance, uh, yeah. I believe, Whatever. as well. Yeah. Uh, you can now uh, go directly to Apple, buy an iPhone on a payment plan, go directly to any carrier. So Apple's yeah, because it's a, an unlocked phone. That's right. Apple's in a position to build a single SKU phone that operates on all the carriers in the U.S., which is hard. Actually, globally. Yeah, globally. Yeah. Um, the U.S. is the worst case, yeah, so glo- globally becomes easy. Um, and, and you can pay Apple for that and then pick a, any carrier and pay them monthly for your voice and data. And they even have an Apple SIM in that phone, which can be activated on any carrier. On any carrier. Or you can pull it out and put, yep. just buy a SIM and yep. put it in there. It's remarkable. So, so tell me. That's the biggest change in the last 10 years in mobile. It's huge. Is it a big change because it, it's, it, for, it severs the carriers from control of the handsets? And from the cons- and from it, it's going it, to be gradual. Removes some of their influence over it, consumer choices, or what? I think I think the latter, because um, the carriers were hit makers. They always have been hit makers, right? They can't like you can't walk into an operator store and have fifty different brands in that store. They whittle that down. So you walk into AT and T store, and you'll see some of the world's phones in AT and T store. You walk into a Verizon store you'll see another set of phones in the Verizon store. And they'll have common ones. It'll be an iPhone, and it'll be a Samsung, but they all have kind of picked their winners, and they balance that. They're like, okay, we're going to sell 49% iPhones this quarter, 51% Samsung this quarter, and everybody else, HTC and whoever else, sorry, we're not going to, Sony, HTC, we're not going to offer your phones. And that was, it's, it was an incredibly unfair advantage, and they thought they had the pulse on what the consumer wanted. And they're not necessarily product companies. They don't know what's going to come next in innovation, and they don't know how to bundle innovation in these things. So I think the biggest change is that they've essentially admitted that they're not going to be the hit maker anymore, and they're not going to be able to bundle innovation. And this, so Apple jumped in and took advantage of it, but they were already one of the incumbents. They were already doing, they were not HTC, they were being pushed by the carriers. I mean, I'm sure there was some tension there, but whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. 
But they jumped in because mm -hmm. they have a lot of money and they can be a bank. And they have stores, mm -hmm. of course. Mm -hmm. um, it was years in the making. I mean, it wasn't something that they just decided to announce. It was many years. Oh, it was? Ago. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, but, but think of how that relates to the previous question, which was innovation. Right. It makes the U.S. look a lot more like China. 80% right. of phones in China are sold open market. Open market isn't through a carrier. Um, and it starts, I mean, we're at the beginning, but the U.S. could look a lot more like that. And consumer buying patterns change because of that. They don't become as brand loyal. They're willing to try more things because it's effortless for them to switch. Right? Particularly, they're willing to, they, they, they become less brand loyal to carriers. That, that's I correct. But, but, but they're or more. if they're brand loyal to the carrier, they may switch phones every yeah, year or two. And, and I, think, I think that's it. And every time you switch a phone, it's an opportunity for a competing brand. So it could be that new brands like Xiaomi get created because of that mentality. When I was in China, and, and I know you, you go there a lot, I, uh, talking to Xiaomi and, and some of the others, um, they all said they, they didn't want to enter the U.S. anytime soon because of the, the carriers were too strong. That's obviously changing. Yeah, it's, it's a fantastic time. So should Google be doing that as well, that's, what Apple just did? That's not a question for me. <laughs> that's a question for the guys. Because you don't know anything about Google? Yeah, I know a little <laughs> bit about Google, but I, it's been years. It's been two years since I've, you know, since I've been running the phone business at Google. And they, they are, uh, I saw the Nexus announcements, and uh, I don't have one yet. So if, they, if anybody's from Google here and wants to send me one, it'd be great to, uh, to test out. But so you think, some of these Chinese companies may come here, or some American companies may adopt that Chinese model? Well, well when, when, when consumer brand loyalty shifts, what sometimes happens, and what's happening in, in China for a segment of the market, let's say 25% of the market, I don't know what the actual number is, but let's say 25% of the market just buys the latest, newest, coolest thing. Because you know, we're still talking about that marching lockstep innovation, right? Right. And innovation's gonna continue to happen, but it doesn't, everybody doesn't release their phones at the same time. Right. right. Innovation happens at a slightly different pace. And what I'm seeing in China for some subset is people will go out and buy the latest thing because it has the best camera or the longest battery life or the best screen or you know, some other feature. And when, they're, you know, when the next one comes out, they'll lock onto that and they'll lock onto that. So it has a little less to do with brand loyalty than actual innovation. Now, if there's a single brand that just continuously innovates faster than anybody else, of course, you'll, you know, you'll, you'll latch onto that. But I you know, think that choice of being able to basically you know, hop the lily pads as, as you're following innovation is, is pretty You can important. hop the lily pads for either the phones or the carriers or both. That's or right. They're completely, you know. So do you think, so you're pretty confident there will be new businesses built around this? I think so. I'm, I'm hopeful. I'm optimistic. I think... Um, 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 I, you know, I think there's, you know, I'm an I'm a optimist on technology. I think and it can be applied to new areas. Um, I have a mobile background. I think there's unsatisfied consumer, you know, desire that needs to be satisfied. And I think it's a global thing. Um, but in particular, I'm excited about the U.S. because for the first time with this separation of the, the handset guys and the carriers, you can actually try stuff in the U.S., and a lot of that might come from Silicon Valley, could come from Google, could come from Facebook. You don't really know where it's going to come. So Apple doing this payment plan thing in a way was 
getting trying to get ahead of this. Yeah, and, like I said, I think that was in, in works for years. Um, they, uh, they were first. I would not be surprised at all if Samsung and everybody else starts doing it. Okay. All right. Um, why don't we go to questions for Andy about any of these things. Uh, do we have mics? So can you go to a mic? You're raising your hand, but there's mics over there. You can line up with the mics. Yeah, there's one there, and somebody's already lined up. Uh, Andy, thank you so much. This is awesome. Um, Carter Trout. Um, <clears throat> so you spoke about uh, computing platforms and open ecosystems. And, and with the, the desktop and the Internet and, and the web, it was largely open, one could argue. And now with these two competing platforms, which I appreciate that Android very much was an open ecosystem to begin with, with Google increasingly uh, nowadays controlling choke points and, you know, be at the Google Play Store or other or APIs or, you know, the tech stack itself. How do you think about, um, is this the, the natural progression of an ecosystem going from an open ecosystem to a closed ecosystem at, through the maturity of, of computing platforms? Or is there something that everybody in this room who wants to navigate and get, and get a presence on mobile, is there something that we should be doing collectively to, to ensure the openness of, of mobile? It's a, it's a good question. So this, the ecosystem question, and choke points probably isn't the right, um, the right word. I think, um, I, I think that um, ecosystems um, have content, and content is what consumers want, um, and the aggregator of that content is in a position to um, innovate the ecosystem faster than anybody else. So, for example, the Play Store or the iTunes App Store, that's where all the apps are. That's the thing the developers go to to put their app into distribution so consumers can see it, and it's providing a really, really good service for the ecosystem. Um, but the core question is essentially web versus native code. And it's kind of a, it's kind of a, a geek kind of nuance here, but um, the web was built to be um, scalable across a lot of different devices different types of PCs, different types of wireless transports, different screen sizes, black and white screens, color screens, fast connections, slow connections. The web works across all of that. And the technology is fantastic to do that. It, you, you know, a designer can articulate himself very easily. Um, but it, in order to do that abstraction where it works across so many things and across you know, so many geographies and technologies, um, the designers needed to come up with a markup language, HTML, plus JavaScript, plus you know whatever else it is these days, that um, could run across all those all those uh, all those diverse technology platforms. And what you got, I, I don't want to say the result was least common denominator, but the result was suboptimal uh, compared to if you were like a game developer developing an engine for a PC that ran you know, a three gigahertz processor with four cores. Um, that was a very targeted approach, and you could have a very high fidelity 3D experience on, on a PC, and you can't really do that on the web today. So if you just compare the app ecosystems, you get a better iOS app than you get a web app today. But that doesn't mean anybody should give up on the web, right? I think people should, this is a technology problem. People should continue to innovate on the technology and I wouldn't be surprised at all if you saw a merging of these things into something that's basically compatible horizontally across the whole stack. 
Sorry, and that for, sorry might, for the long. That might mean the that the Play Store and the a Apple App Store will go away. No, I, I just think they'll start hosting different types of apps because we're really talking about commerce, and those are the places people go to buy stuff. Okay, over here. Uh, Tim Bradshaw from the Financial Times. Um, you said you'd closed a round. How much did you raise? Um, so the venture side of the business was a $300 million round. Okay. Um, and you, you also talked a bit about the robots project at, at Google. What, what's happened to that now? Is, is Big Dog in mothballs, or is it an ongoing project after you left? I don't know. After you leave, they don't, they don't, they don't, you don't get the memos anymore. Um. <laughs> but what, I mean, can you talk more about what you were doing there? Because you bought a lot of companies, and it was never completely clear how they all came together. Yeah, I think, um, obviously, there, you know, there was a strategy. The strategy, I, I believe, was a good strategy. I think it's still somewhat underway. But I'm not there anymore, and it's not fair to me for me to talk for somebody else. Um, it's uh, if they wanted to make an announcement, they would have made an announcement. Thanks, uh, Murnal. Hi, uh, Murnal. Um, so now you know you talked about potential opportunities with um, Apple providing this upgrade plan. So I don't need to be buying any particular carrier service or being tied into it. So do you see potentially an MVNO play? where now I buy the phone and I also get a service that I can turn on and off that comes via Apple, which is provided. So now Apple does software, hardware, and service, and I don't need to even be tied to any particular network. Yeah, I mean, it, so MVNO is a virtual thing. Uh, you're riding on top of, an, of a carrier's network, and they can decide if the business terms are such where they would want Apple to do that and partner with Apple to do it. Um, an existence proof of that is Google Fi, uh, which is working across Sprint and T-Mobile and Wi-Fi. And uh, not only do you get one SIM, but that SIM simultaneously works on Sprint and T-Mobile. Um, and that's new. That, that hadn't been done before. Um, so I think there is room for innovation in the uh, virtual operator space, for sure. And especially, do you see it crossing international borders? Um, that's hard. Um, it, would be, it would be great if it did, but you literally, there's some somebody that has to climb a tower and install, you know, antennas across the world, and they have to be, you know, it's, it's, it's a hard job. It takes time. It's like digging up the sidewalk to run fiber. It's that hard. All right. Thank you. I shouldn't do this, but two more questions. Go ahead. Hi, Andy. This is Amit from Inmobi. Uh, so my, I have two questions for you. One question is when you created Android, did you envision it will go through massive uh, fragmentation? And my second question is related to that. Do you I think said one. <laughs> fragmentation is good for consumers or not? Yeah. Well, you, you know, I was going to follow up with the second part. So, right. so we'll let him we'll right. slide on okay. this one. Um, <laughs> fragmentation has a negative connotation. Um, uh, I prefer consumer choice as, as the positive version of that. Um, o open source literally allows people to do anything they want with the software. We talked about that a little bit. There's going to be good ideas that percolate up, bad ideas that die. But the consumer is going to see all those things. And when they see all those things at the same time, it looks like what you're describing. It looks like fragmentation. But unfortunately, that fragmentation is caused by a big corporation who have their vested interest. Otherwise, there's only one version of it. You've got to let them. You, gotta let them. you know, the, the way I looked at, at it when the developers were developing Android is, should we write the operating system for one screen size? That's what you do when you roll up to the keyboard and your first year, like, I'm going to write an operating system today. You make these types of decisions. And there's 10,000 decisions like that to make. When we first made, were making these decisions, 
we decided we're not going to make it work with just one screen size. We're going to make it work with a variety of screen sizes. And that fundamental decision enabled it to go into automotive, onto televisions, into watches, and into cell phones, right? Faster than any competitor was able to do that. Um, so th if that's what you call fragmentation, I fully support. Uh, I think it's a really good thing for consumers. They get to decide. Is it going to generate some noise and some confusion? Yes. Just wait for the stuff to percolate to the top and buy that. That's my okay. advice. Okay, last question over here. Hi, Andy. Syria Grudy. Uh, so when you look further out into the future, let's more, like say five, ten years out, and you're talking about your, the, the cycles of innovation of, across different platforms from the mainframe to all the way to the phone, it seems to get closer and closer to the body. And of course, wearables are, have been talked about for a long time and we're seeing them come out. But what's the next step after that? How much do you think hardware and biology are going to merge uh, and the body and the devices and IoT become sort of like the internet of the body? Where does that take us? It's, it's, it's a good question. Um, porn is the answer, obviously. Um, <laughs> is that okay? Yeah, it's fine. All right, I wasn't planning on going there. But... <laughs> it's um, fine. Type. <laughs> no, I, I think... Um, I, I don't think it's about um, computer meets human in that regard. I don't think we're... You know, I, I'm just... Maybe I'm out of it and not, a, not a, as progressive as I should be, but I don't think implants and brain-computer interconnects and things like that. You know, I don't want to augment myself in that way, so I'm just not personally interested in it. It might happen. There might be somebody in this room that goes and does it. The IoT thing beyond the, the wearable, um, I mean, I think there's friction points that still need to be researched and eliminated. Those fr friction points are... Going to bed at night and charging five things really sucks, right? The thing that I wear on my wrist, on the left wrist, the thing I wear on the right wrist, the thing I carry around in my pocket. I mean, that just doesn't work for me. Um, so there's a, there's a fundamental use case problem with all this stuff. And as it scales, and you have your front door lock you know, being driven by all this, you have your security system being driven by all this, your toaster oven's warming up and doing stuff. I think the, you know, if... If I outfit, and I have, by the way, if I outfitted my house with all that technology and, like, my wife couldn't get in the front door, I, I'd be in the doghouse, right? <laughs> so um, I think when you start adding technology in your life, you have to be really um, careful and thoughtful about um, how much technology you adopt. And, and I think um, one of the dangers is one company providing all the technology in your home. Right? That, that one company providing all the technology will probably have a better story about how reliable and interoperable that technology is, but I don't think that would be great for the consumer to have one company powering your home. Would somebody call Tony Fidel right now? Yeah. Hmm. So, so uh, Tony was the founder of, of Nest, obviously, that has been thinking about this for, for, for years. So, but, so the real question is, how do you create interoperation Right, without completely, uh, uh, you know, making the consumer frustrated, I, I think is the question. And it sounds like, you know, there's some twist on that. Remember that PowerPoint presentation where there's there needs to be an open thing for X. The corollary now is that doesn't frustrate the consumer in their home, 
right? Doesn't lock them out of their home or something. I think that's an active area of, uh, of I, I would fund uh, the, the, the entrepreneur that comes in with a plan to solve that. You heard him. Get your PowerPoints ready. <laughs> Thank you, Andy Rubin. Thanks a lot, guys.